Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Bill. We are back to Game of Thrones and the Catelyn chapter. Yeah. Um, it starts with an illustration with a really nice view of King's Landing and the Red Keep. And what appears to be the Sept in the distance. Yeah. So they are on a Tyroshi ship called the Storm Dancer. And are about an hour's out from reaching King's Landing. Yeah. Catelyn has brought um Sir Roderick for protection. So to go to and she's visiting the house of ill repute. Uh owned this is owned or is it just like a place where he hangs out? I don't remember. Owned, but we'll get to that part. Yeah, he's it's owned by uh by Littlefinger. AKA um, Baelish, Lord Baelish. AKA a very uh, disreputable individual. Yep. Um, But before we get to that part, they're on this uh, Tyroshi ship. Yep. Which is a two masted galley with 60 oars, very fast. And um, captained by Moyo. Tomitus or Tomitus, I don't know. Tomitus, I thought, but I don't know. Tomitus. And, um, apparently the Tyroshi were notorious for their avarice, and Sir Roderick had argued for hiring a fishing sloop instead out of the Three Sisters Islands to get to where they're headed. Oh, uh, about this avarice thing, I don't know, this... Yeah. It sounds like one of those stereotypes that could or could not be true. But it appears with this uh, captain it was... Uh, true. Um, Catelyn wanted to give a... Silver stag to each of the oarsmen as a token of gratitude. And Captain Morio says that um, that's far too generous. The honor of carrying a great lady like yourself is all the reward they need. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but I think he's hoping to um, get the silver stags himself. Yeah, it sounds about right to me. I think that's what he was trying to do. Um, Catelyn has still not had her hands fully healed from grabbing the dagger blade when the attempt on Bran's life was made. Yeah. And it sounds like they won't fully heal. She can't bend the last two fingers. And she's still probably lucked out for somebody who grabbed a Valyrian steel blade with their hands. Yeah. Because that stuff's supposed to be super sharp and super durable. Um, so. Uh, there's a bit about the Tyroshi culture of bright colors and um, Morio having his forked beard dyed green. Yeah, now explain that because that's like, I know this becomes a thing, more of a thing later. Well, many 
Taiwashi characters, both men and women, dye their hair like totally out their colors, like green or blue, and it's normal. And in Westeros, it's viewed as a little odd or maybe not polite, kind of like uh, how some people have some opinions about people dyeing their hair in real life, and to others it's totally normal, and I think this is a bit of a nod to real-life Tyre being known for purple dye from the Murex. Yeah, I think that's about right. But it's pretty exaggerated on. They have very readily available, very good, very brightly colored dye of all sorts of colors. Yeah, well, that's clearly what it's meant to be. It's supposed to be, like, George R. R. Martin loves to take his historical examples and then, like, make them, you know, even more so. It's like, you know, he just runs into that more. He just he just runs with it and runs it into its uh, craziest uh, conclusion that he could possibly muster. Sir Roderick um, his, has been sick for most of the voyage from the motion sickness and apparently he threw up on his impressive side whiskers so bad that he couldn't clean them out and had to cut off one side. Yeah. Um, in the show, you may remember Sir Roderick having a sort of no. um, mustache that kind of connected onto the hair higher up. And yeah, I remember that Kind of thing. like braided or something. Uh, they're finally here. And their intent is to reach the king's master at arms and hope that he is some, pray that he can be trusted. And um, Sir Roderick says that um, Sir Aaron Santagar is a vain man, but an honest one, and he may know, you know what, who you know, owned this knife. Do it. Do you get into that anymore? Yeah. Um. And also, Sir Roderick said that once they're ashore, they are at risk, and there may be people at court who will know her by sight. And right away, Catelyn kind of tenses and um, thinks of Littlefinger. Yep. Who had been a boy that, you know, they grew up together when they were kids. Um, he'd been fostered at River Run. Yeah. Um, his original home had been a little uh, spit of land next to the sea called the Fingers, the smallest of the spit of land. So, Little Finger. And he had. Um, really had a thing for Catelyn when they were younger, and he never outgrew that. She never liked him back, and is not somebody that 
her father would have arranged marriage for anyway. Um, House Baelish is way too, you know, low on the scale. Yeah. And when it was announced that Catelyn would marry um, Brandon Stark, now not the not the kid. Um, Brandon Stark, that's Eddard Stark's older brother, and is not alive at this point, no. thanks to the Mad King. Um, Peter had actually challenged him to a duel, and they dueled, and Peter lost and got a nasty injury that left a scar yeah, that could have killed him. Yeah, he has that scar. Which is, besides not being the brightest thing to have done, is probably one of the few genuinely brave, if stupid, things that Peter has done in his life. I mean, he's mostly a, as you'll see later, he's more of a string puller and um, behind-the-scenes treachery kind of person. Yeah, he's very treacherous. So an open duel like that is very unusual out of Peter. And they get to King's Landing, which is set on three high hills and had originally had like some fisher folk living there. But that's where Aegon the Conqueror had landed and set up his ruling and it has since become pretty much, yeah, the capital of all of Westeros. It's where the Red Keep, where the king lives. It's got their largest sept for a center of religion. Very large city. Yeah. A lot of trade and people coming from all over for trade there. Aegon's Hill had the castle and Visenya's Hill had the Great Sept of Baelor. And the Hill of Rainies had the ruins of the Dragon Pit, which is where dragons had been kept back when there were dragons. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's an interesting thing. And the... Yeah, the harbor has traders from all over the place. Bravos, Pentos, and Lys are mentioned. And the port of Ibn. Um, you've already seen Pentos with the Daenerys chapter, and Bravos will also be important later on. Um, whether Lys and uh, Ibn will ever be important, that's going to depend on... What and if George R. ever puts in the Winds of Winter? 
Yeah. And we're, we're going to see, I guess, what happens there. The Red Keep is massive, and it's got um, halls and covered bridges and barracks and dungeons, and it's made of red sandstone, which, yeah, immediately makes me think of Red Wall, but that's likely coincidental. It's a good building material. It's yeah, doesn't need to have anything more behind it. The banner on the battlements is the crown stag of House Baratheon. Where before it had been the three-headed dragon of Targaryen. As so what happens then? Well, they're still talking about the possibility of being inadvertently recognized, and Roderick doesn't think anyone's going to recognize him because the last person who saw him without the mustache whiskers is his mom, and that was 40 years ago. Yeah, and he no longer has mustache whiskers. Why is that, Sarah? Told you, because he barfed on them. Exactly. So, we don't know why he had to sh shave him, but just a reminder that he barfed on his mustache. Um, they decide that it would be better not to go directly to the castle and maybe they should find an inn instead. Someplace clean and comfortable and not too far from the river. And the Tairoshi captain is still interested in that extra silver and Catelyn's like, yeah, for the oarsmen. And Captain Morio still says, oh, for the sake of the wives and the children of the oarsmen, maybe it should be just given directly to him because they're just going to spend it on gambling or um, sex workers, which is likely true. Well, which is going to happen, let's face facts. That's not just likely true, that is going to happen. Yeah. But Catelyn is like, it's their money to do with what they want. And they earned the silver. It's no concern of hers how they spend it. And just to be sure, she gives the money directly to the oarsman herself. She She's less trusting of, uh, of people. Especially Littlefinger. And for good reason. They find the inn that Morio had suggested, and it's a rambling old place on Eel Alley, which I take to be kind of a sketchy neighborhood. And the woman who owns the inn actually um, bites the coin to make sure it's not fake. But it is a nice inn, and it's got good uh, fish stew. Yep. 
And she doesn't care about finding out who they are, which is a plus. And she still wakes up to a pounding on her door. To this day. Two men from the city watch in armor who say they're going to escort her to the castle. And she asks on whose authority that is. And one of the guards brings out a ribbon with a mockingbird seal in gray wax. Peter's sigil. Yep. And and Catelyn right away asks this guy if he knows who she is, and he says no, but... He's been instructed to bring her to Littlefinger right away. That's all he knows, to bring her right away to Littlefinger. By the orders of Littlefinger. So then what happens? Well, they brought a horse for her to ride, and they ride... Uh up to the Red Keep, and uh, there he is, and uh, invites her inside to the room, and um, just says, Cat. Yep. And she asks him why she was brought here in this way. And he just dismisses the guards and says, You weren't mistreated, I trust, and notices the bandages on her fingers. And Catelyn is, you know, understandably offended at being summoned like this. And yeah, of course. She's literally like one of the most powerful people in the entire northern region. Like, arguably the second or third most powerful, depending, I guess, on who you ask. But she's really powerful. And. And has just been summoned by her skeevy, not even really an ex, because they were never together, but... Yeah, I was gonna say. And Littlefinger is described as a small man who's slender and quick and has sharp features and laughing gray-green eyes and a little pointed chin beard... And some threads of silver in his hair and a silver mockingbird that fastens his cloak. And even as a child, he had always loved his silver, which is a bit of a a meaningful statement there. Yep. Greedy from the start. Catelyn asks him how he knew she was here. To which he just says, Lord Varys knows all. Yep. And he'll be joining shortly. It has been too long, Cat. How many years? Uh, He doesn't know how to... (laughs) Does not know. Yeah, and... um, 
Catelyn ignores that and asks if it was the king's spider who found her. And uh, Littlefinger says, you don't want to call Lord Varys that. He's sensitive and it comes of being a eunuch. And nothing happens in the city without Varys knowing. And he often knows things even before it happens. And his informants everywhere called his little birds. And one of his little birds heard about the visit. Yep. Now, I think we'll get more into the little birds later in another chapter. Uh, yes, uh, Varys is sort of an informant for the king, a professional informant, and his job is to pretty much sneakily know things yeah. and pass on that information to the king, but as you can see, he passes that on to certain other people if he's got a reason to. And uh, Varys had come from Lease, the city we just mentioned, some ships from at the port. Yeah, I remember and, that. And without going into his full story right now, he started as um, a slave and as a um, street urchin. And he worked his way up from that to... Um, being not quite officially a lord, but close enough that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Knew the right secrets, pulled the right strings. Yes, he did. And uh, Littlefinger asks Catelyn why she's here, and... Um, she says that, you know, she misses her husband and she is a mother and needs her daughter's close. And who can, you know, deny her that? Yeah, who indeed? And Littlefinger says he... She doesn't, uh... Don't expect him to believe that and... Um, he knows her too well. Um, what were the Tully words again? Family, duty, honor. Yeah, that's the motto. And all all of this required her to stay in Winterfell where um, Ned left her. So she is here for a reason, other than what she said, which is true. And then uh, Varys walks in through the door. And he's described as plump, perfume powdered, and as hairless as an egg. And he wears a purple silk gown and um, velvet slippers. And he uh, smells like lilacs. So he's kind of feminine. Yep. Which I think is kind of a stereotype for men who are eunuchs. Uh, which will actually not be the case throughout this series, but... 
Nope. He also notices Catelyn's bandaged hands and asks her if she um, burned herself and um, should he go to Maester Pycelle for a burn salve. Yeah. And you know, she says she doesn't need that. Her own maester already took care of that. And um, Varys says that it's sad to hear about what happened to Bran. And he's so young and the gods are cruel. Now, before we go on, do you think that um, reference to Pycelle, do you think there was anything more to it? I don't know about that. I mean, Pycelle is a little, uh... Politically sneaky himself. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder about that. Like, is that a, a threat there, or is it just... Yeah, your hands are bad, get some salve for them. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's double entendre. It's kind of what I was reading it as. Varys also offers to send for a healer from the free cities for Bran, which Catelyn also declines and says Lewin has is doing all that can be done. And she she didn't want to talk about Bran to any of these guys. They weren't people that she trusted, which is smart and. Um, she asks various, you know, why she's been brought here. Why was she brought here? And various asks if she would show the dagger, which she hadn't mentioned to any of them, so he already knew about it. And Catelyn is shocked and is thinking he might be using magic or worse to know things. And Littlefinger is like, what dagger? And who is Sir Roderick? Varys already knows who Sir Roderick is, that he is the master at arms from Winterfell. Yeah, but he's getting at something. And that he came early this afternoon to talk to Sir Aaron Santagar about a certain dagger. And after that, they walked to that dreadful hovel where she was staying, on Eel Alley. And they're still there, drinking in the common room. 
Yeah, how could you know all that? The whisperings of little birds. And Catelyn brings out the dagger and says, Perhaps your little birds will whisper the name of the man it belongs to. Various runs his thumb on the edge of the dagger and cuts himself on it right away and yelps and drops the dagger on the table. Littlefinger realizes that it's Valyrian steel right away. And says, if you wanted to know who the owner of this should have come to him right away. And she's like, well, what what would you have told me about that? And Littlefinger says the dagger is his, which made no sense to her because he had not been at Winterfell. Yeah. And... He says that the at the tourney on Prince Joffrey's name day, he had bet on Sir Jamie in the jousting, and half the court had bet on Sir Jamie in the jousting. He was, you know, the favored one to win. But Loras Tyrell unhorsed him, and um. Sir Jamie lost a hundred golden dragons, the queen lost an emerald pendant, and he lost the knife. Yeah, that's the thing. Now, I, I remember I read that and I was surprised Jamie lost, but... Uh, Loras, despite being 15, is actually really very good. good. Now, why is that? Do we know? Because he practices nonstop. He's just a training guy, nonstop. And Catelyn asks who he lost the bet to, and um, Littlefinger says the imp, Tyrion Lannister. And then the chapter ends. That's where it ends. Now, I I won't go into full spoiler territory right now, but I'll spoil a bit. Little finger bad for one. Little finger bad. Little finger is a liar, liar. Pants on fire. You shouldn't believe things little finger says. He's a master manipulator. And this is part of him doing that. He's actually going to, throughout the series, through his manipulating behind the scenes and treacherous stuff, be one of the um, consistent villains through the. series, which. Um, yes, as of the current written stuff, he is still alive. Do you have any more? 
Uh, just that Littlefinger is uh, insanely bad, uh, and we don't even touch up on that. Uh, I was still, like I said, interested about the whole Tyrell thing. but the Yeah, Loras is actually... I know that comes A up very good on. fighter who trains nonstop. Um, he's also not above maybe not cheating directly, but um, making things work to his advantage when fighting. Yeah. As you'll see later. Um, Loris himself is not going to be an important character to the story until later on. Yep. Um, but you'll see more of him then. Varys and Littlefinger are the main, uh, secret knowing, manipulating, string pulling. Knowing things they shouldn't know somehow, characters, yeah. and they they're kind of frenemies with each other. And they they try to out outsmart each other and kind of work with each other against each other. Yeah, but yeah, well, we'll see where it goes. The thing is that we know more about what happens in the movie or the shows than the book. Because the show is further along, and as we know, it deviates from the book, so. But season one is accurate enough. Yep, season one's a pretty accurate adaptation. So, I mean, if you really want some spoilers, you can watch season one. Uh, the one-to-one only goes so far, so. That's about it, I guess. For this chapter. And the next one's gonna be John. Yep, another John Snow yeah. chapter. Another cool illustration. Yep. So yeah, we'll be uh doing that one too and If there's uh, anything you'd like us to talk about or got any questions, um, please feel free to message our Facebook, Cast It Into The Fire podcast. There's a group you can join, too. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. Good night.